Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. And today we have a great episode. It is a pleasure to have back on the podcast Eva Tasheva. Eva is the co-founder and cybersecurity lead at CN, the company that deals with cybersecurity and energy that is based in Brussels. As we continue with the ELF campaign of October as the month of cybersecurity, Eva and I are going to get into a topic of enterprise and healthcare provider cybersecurity, two topics of tremendous importance, particularly as we're getting out of the COVID pandemic. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of October. I'm here with Eva Tasheva. Eva, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ricardo, for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and uh, to also hear back from your audience. Well, thank you for being here. And we are in a month of cybersecurity and that for you are the right person for me to have on the podcast to go over this. We already talked previously and we're going to go a little more into detail because in the meantime, you do go into healthcare provider security, which is something that is really important and looking forward to talk to you. But before that, let's start with definitions here. So there's cybersecurity, but you go more into enterprise cybersecurity. Tell us the difference between these two concepts. Yes, so first, uh, happy cybersecurity month to everyone. Uh, <laughs> probably you already were... Uh, uh, received some messages and so some campaigns. Uh, it's really this year a very, very active campaign uh, from all international actors from the EU, US. I have seen companies, individuals like me, um, and uh, obviously uh, your podcast, the Liberal Europe uh, podcast, taking um, this opportunity to spread the word and to help people protect uh, themselves better. And maybe this is also introduction a little bit to what is cybersecurity, uh, as you have asked, what is the difference with enterprise security? So it's important to keep in mind that cybersecurity is, let's say, a term that's very generally used to describe everything that um, is linked to the protection of individuals, enterprises, governments um, from cyber attacks. So when we speak mm -hmm. about cyber attacks, there we think about internet connected devices, systems and hackers, malicious actors, we call them, those hackers from everywhere in the world trying to break your system, to break uh, into your data for different reasons. Mostly um, this is still for economic benefits. So there is a huge still a reward uh, for the hackers um, and in most cases they are trying to either get money from the victim for releasing the data that they have in their possession or um, they would be even shaming um, their target based on the confidential data you could think about uh, confidential company documents but you could it could be IP uh, as well, but it could also be individuals mm -hmm. uh, like me and you um, that suddenly become a victim to um, to cyber attack and to be able to get back our data and to hide it from the rest of the world, we need to pay um, a ransom a payment. 
And so we have seen how in the last two years, so basically in 2020, we have hit a record of cybercrime losses, uh, where one trillion, according to McAfee, we have lost one trillion to um, cybercrime. And this obviously is a, is a huge incentive uh, for attackers to continue and therefore for us to ensure the security, the cybersecurity of all of us. And if we move to enterprise security, there is the name points. Um, the focus is more on the enterprise level. So you have companies, whether they're um, small or typically large organizations, you think about the recent hacks on Colonial Pipeline, so the massive um, oil uh, distribution company. <clears throat> you think about attacks on hospitals, right? In a way, mm -hmm. hospital is also um, an enterprise. Uh, you think about all the other sectors um, that you have company with, with its assets, with its mission. And so enterprise security objective is to secure in general the processes, the people and the technology, the data of the enterprise. So there it is a little bit larger, uh, the definition than the cyber security because the threat from malicious actors penetrating through the internet, so mm -hmm. the hackers, is only one part to consider. So cyber uh, attacks are only one aspect to consider, but additionally, you also have to protect your data from um, traditional security issues. Think about physical security. So you have to secure your premises so that not everyone can come and take your data in your at the same time, very secure on cyber, right? You have to think also about the designing the, the policies and processes internally so that employees help protect your company rather than just hand on uh, all your secrets uh, to mm -hmm. the first person that asks. And so this is the, this is the, the big difference. Industrial espionage is something actually that we know that it, it's it's big, but I'm I'm still blown away by the amount of money involved. One trillion dollars. That's as you said. That's a lot of incentives for uh, malicious actors to to act. And it was very interesting, uh, Eva, that you mentioned the ransomware attacks, particularly the most well-known in the last couple of months in the United States, which was a pipeline that goes through the East Coast and feeds a lot of um, cities and industries, but also on the Midwest with the meatpacking industry. So my question to you is when we think about how disruptive this could be and how apparently e it is easy to do this, how can professionals like you think about this process and think about not only to mitigate the effects, but mostly, and I think that will be the primary objective to not let that happen. Yes, um, you have rightly pointed that it's very, very difficult, right? It's always we're on the defending side, we're one step behind. So what would normally happen is there would be a new innovative way to break into your system and you would learn how to protect yourself from it. So the challenge is daily exercise where you have to be aware of what are uh, the major threats for you as an organization, for you as a human, as a, as a person, individual, and to understand what are your weaknesses, mm -hmm. what are your vulnerabilities. So where possibly your possible hackers or malicious actors could 
penetrate in your in your system in which way you could be exposed to this threat and um, eventually it's a daily exercise of keeping an, uh, keeping a track of what is happening uh, and how what is the latest uh, best practices, what are the latest uh, technology, what the standards uh, come into play as well, because those are, let's say, very structured guidance of step-by-step addressing uh, the most common um, threats. So how we can imp- implement this uh, in our uh, everyday life. And here I would like to highlight that while the budget for defending Obviously, with the, with the losses, the budget to defend yourself have also increased uh, dramatically over COVID period. So, you know, security became much more mm-hmm. important when we speak about digital systems and teleworking and all the digitalization of the economy. Cybersecurity became top priority for everyone. And we have seen how these spendings have increased from 2019. Again, I can give some trend where it was about $40 billion, still nothing compared to the $1 trillion lost, but $40 billion was still spent on mm. cybersecurity in 2019, while uh, in 2020 it was already 40, 54, over $54 billion, um, expected to grow to just under $60 billion. In 2021, this is data from Statista I'm quoting here. But again, it's it's good to give perspective a little bit to people to know that this is this is a serious issue that we are also investing more and more. And when we speak about expenditures, it's important to remember that it is not about technology, right? Um, so you have security technology, you have AI also integrated now in systems to um, to supervise the network. So this is very, very important aspect uh, to know what is happening in your house, basically, or to keep locks uh, mm-hmm. that obviously with so much activities online, we have a huge database um, of logging. Uh, so who logged in, when, what did they do? what happened when files were deleted or who has privileged access, all this information you have to store somewhere to be sure at some point to be able to analyze and see if there is something strange going on. So this is the only way for you in most cases to know uh, that you have been hacked eventually. And so all these capacities, they depend on technology and um, AI plays a huge role heroes to improve this technology, and they're typically mm-hmm. very expensive. But this is still like small share of the money spent on cybersecurity, because cybersecurity and enterprise security, eventually it's about processes and it is about people. And so uh, much of the investment is done at enterprise level to define these strategies, um, to define these um, procedures where you decide what kind of measures you would implement, who would be responsible to implement, and how would people find a way uh, to use it in a a user-friendly way so that eventually the idea of security is not to is not to build a wall, right? <laughs> because the wall it, it doesn't work when you actually want to do progress, when you actually want to do your job. So what you have to find the balance also is between having these security gates, but at the same time your employees that have legitimate interests and that um, 
are also um, helping your uh, company, running your company, they also have to have the access and easy flow of information in the company. It's a different, difficult balance to strike, but it's a lot about information processes and, and investment eventually. Let me ask you what could be a hard question for someone that is working more at the technical level like you, but I'm very interested to know your opinion. What is your take on diplomacy at the highest level? So we're talking about top of governments warning each other, or in this particular, I'm thinking about what happened in the United States, more the Biden administration trying to warn the Kremlin as much as they can, say, stop this, stop giving home to malicious actors, stop giving them the possibility of acting in impunity because they're in your country and we can touch them. Do you have do you have an opinion? Is, is this effective? Is this just for show? Yes, I think so. There are obviously different instruments. And as you mentioned, diplomacy is one of um, the instruments to reduce uh, the, the risk or, or the to counter the threat when you speak about national security like government security, Biden administration takes care, obviously, of the U.S. Uh, government uh, security. And diplomacy has a big role to play in, in this specific field when we like look at the prism of national security. Why? Because eventually it is, um, it is the relationship between governments um, that would, in the first place, trigger the need or the interest to damage and in this case, we still see not so much damage, but more um, espionage um, going on. So the less trust we have at international level between the big actors, we can expect to have more and more malicious activities with the aim of espionage, because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's only human nature to try to understand better uh, the opponent if you see other countries as opponents. And so to me... Uh, the diplomatic work starts much, much before the hack. So there you have to design, um, and we have the UN uh, flora, we have the Council of Europe flora, EU is trying um, also to design international uh, norms for um, mm -hmm. behavior, responsible state behavior. So once we all, as governments come, they actually, governments come together and agree, okay, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable, we all commit to behave in a certain way, you could expect the situation to improve a little bit, so it wouldn't be this wild west where everyone can do everything. This is one part, and obviously when, um, when incidents happen, and we have seen this a lot in the U.S. last uh, last year, when they were targeted of um, a lot of espionage activities, then comes into play other tools like sanctions, right? So eventually, this is what we have seen from uh, the U.S. Uh, this is what we have seen uh, in Europe for the first time, also in 2020. Obviously, in Europe, we did it for something happening four years ago, so three years ago. So uh, still for. Um, for not Petya and and for 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 the other hacks, so for us it takes a little bit more time to react. In the U.S. they were faster, so something happened in 2020. They immediately mm. imposed sanctions, and this is very interesting. Um, actually, debate um, we had 
Um, maybe you have seen, I have recently launched a YouTube channel. It's uh, Cyan-Cybersecurity. And in this YouTube channel, we organized a panel discussion together with a, with a, with a university colleagues uh, where we discussed exactly this topic. What is the difference between the sanctioned regimes in the EU and the US? Um, why is it different? What would make sense? And what can we learn from the US to be able to better as Europe counter um, cyber attacks? So there is a merit um, to invest those in diplomatic uh, tools and driving, let's say, uh, the debate at diplomatic um, level, not only for national security, it's important to maybe also highlight here that eventually mm -hmm. it is always the companies, so it is always the, the vendors <laughs> that are the immediate victim because it's the technology um, that would be uh, broken into that would be compromised to get to these government agencies or information. So there the interest is not only on national security, it's also on enterprise security to reduce the threat from these companies. That's what I was thinking is that, that there, in here there's a synergy between the private sector, the enterprises and then governments to have this kind of added pressure of sanctions or diplomatic pressure. Eva, as we are starting to run out of time, I still have a question about healthcare provider security and COVID-19 was an important moment for us to understand that uh, protection. But I remember even before COVID, there were stories about hospitals being frozen by malicious attacks. So let's start with that. Tell us, as an expert, tell us where are we on this, on this battle? Probably I would sound a little bit dark. Now I, I wish I could bring more good news, but okay, I will start with the dark side and, and maybe try to find a way to, <laughs> to bring a little bit light to the perspective. Uh, but we are really bad. We're really bad when it comes to hospital security. Why is this the case? Mm. Obviously there's many reasons, um, investment priorities, um, old infrastructure, very specific devices and infrastructure, uh, which are legacy uh, from, from the 80s, 90s, uh, expensive machinery that's not so easy to modernize. But this is not uh, the biggest issue. The biggest issue, obviously, um, us with the other part of security is the human uh, factor. So the human still continues to be big um, let's say, opening gate uh, for, for the attacks. I don't know if I mentioned CyberSafe uh, uh, analysis. So they had a study in 2019 showing that human error was the cause of approximately 90% of data breaches. So 90% of data breaches are because the human mm -hmm. did some error. And this is very difficult, obviously, to... Uh, to train already very busy, overwhelmed doctors, so the health system, think about it, they're saving lives. So very, very mm. important objective, right? Uh, life of the patient would always come first. And busy saving lives, we probably are running slow in educating them how to save life in the digital age. Because with the attacks, more and more targeting the systems of healthcare, uh, providers, we see how the risk increased for these patients. 
It is true that indeed before COVID things were were the same uh, in terms of preparedness for the hospitals to 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 counter uh, cyber attacks. We have seen this still in 2017 uh, with um, with NotPetya and the other attacks. But what has changed in 2020, um, from my perspective? is that suddenly you had so much more cyber activities, so so much more hackers trying to hack. And in many cases, hospitals were merely the casualty, very random casualty in uh, hacking attempt. So I think of uh, in Germany, uh, in, again in 2020, we had a case where someone tries to hack a university, right, to get some information, but uh, didn't realize that the university has university hospital and that's all connected to the, through the network. So the damage was done unintentionally. So it's so easy to hack <laughs> hospitals that you could do it by mistake uh, without even trying uh, to do it. And so this is, I think, what brought the issue even more in the public uh, domain uh, because with more attacks, obviously, there would be more... Uh, cases in hospitals uh, with, uh, with the COVID crisis. Obviously, we were all looking towards them to, to save, save lives. They were more important than ever. Uh, and we couldn't tolerate any downtime or any, um, any errors. But besides that, okay, this is a little bit the dark, um, the dark part. The good part, the good point is that now we are more aware of the issue. And now, Hopefully, in Europe, with the new Network uh, and Information Security Directive, NIS2 Directive, um, that we are discussing at European level, in, in which normally hospitals should take part as well in the scope. So they should have some minimum security requirements and incident notification requirement under the NIS2 Directive. This would incentivize the government. Uh, to provide more subsidies for these aspects in hospitals. So, so it, of course, it's very important to have hospital beds, to have nurses, to have doctors. But now it's not enough. You also have to have this aspect of having security uh, for, for the network and for the information of the hospital um, to be able to achieve the mission. So my hope is that legislation like the NIST directive that we already have was similar to the NIS2 directive, but it was not enforced that much. And um, member states didn't even include hospitals in their uh, critical infrastructure. So they didn't include it in the scope of the of the directive, uh, of the national legislation transposing the directive. My hope is that now that we have seen this criticality of the healthcare system, that we have seen how easy it is to hack, more governments would be cautious and maybe we as citizens could put pressure on them to put the money where uh, their mouth is if they really want to, to have a security uh, system. And obviously, just to, to mention GDPR, um, you might know the General Data Protection Regulation, which targets um, the protection of personal data. It's also a very important piece of legislation for hospitals. It is not only defining how in what data to collect and store, but also how to secure these data. So some level of minimum, minimum, minimum security requirements should already be there. Again, the question here is always in enforcing 
enforcing the rules and giving the budget. We have the help of people like you that are on the field working at this level, but it's quite interesting as, as a paradigm shift, what you just mentioned a minute ago, and that is you think about a hospital, you think about beds, you think about you know nurses and doctors and services and you have to start thinking about also the computers. So that's that's a, that's a pretty cool picture to leave our listeners with. I'm going to put on the show notes of the podcast the link to your YouTube channel and to all these uh, directives that you just mentioned. And uh, very quickly, apart from motherhood, and, and <laughs> for our listeners, Eva is uh, expecting, so congratulations for that. So apart from that thing that is going to take a lot of your time, tell our listeners where the people can find your work. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ricardo. So um, currently I'm, um, I'm supporting now. I was, uh, uh, I, I drafted and in a couple of weeks we would announce and publish um, the uh, Bulgarian Guide for Cybersecurity uh, of mm-hmm. SMEs. So to our listeners that are from Bulgaria, in particular, uh, stay tuned. Um, there you would receive uh, the first uh, such guide targeted to small and medium enterprises, which I think is still helpful even for large enterprises. But we try to scale down and to target those measures that are achievable in even uh, the smallest companies, uh, perhaps of interest to individuals as well. So this is one uh, news also uh, from my side. I'm also supporting ANISA. I have been selected a member of their enterprise security ad hoc working group. Um, so there probably you would hear more uh, from me. You could, of course, uh, find me on social media. Um, there I try to keep up to date with, with the different activities and different events, um, posting also on the YouTube channel. Uh, the idea is to have regular interviews, uh, roundtable discussions, or simply uh, updates on everything that is cybersecurity accessible uh, to people. So we try to avoid the very technical language, but address the issues of the day uh, that people are interested in. Well, I'm going to have you come back to the podcast but next time with a lovely baby on your arms and yes. he or she is going to make a lot of baby noises that will be recorded on the podcast so that's a promise and if it's always so good to talk to you and you give such clarity and solutions to this very very important moment in our development as a society and we'll be in touch but for now thank you so much for coming to the podcast Thank you, Ricardo, for having me. And as always, don't hesitate to any of our listeners to react. I would be happy also to engage with you uh, on social media or on the podcasts. I'm back. Just a reminder that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this last week of October. On the 28th of October, and continuing with the topic of cybersecurity, we have on the agenda for a comprehensive EU cybersecurity strategy. This will be a Zoom webinar where we will be looking for in-house European cybersecurity solutions among the EU member states. 
To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast, it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Yeah.